Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. All right, guys. Good morning. Good morning. So I think Friday was the first time in like two weeks that I actually heard Pastor Chris's voice and not his Stephen Hawking one. It, it got like weird. Because I associated the other voice with him, and then I heard his real voice and was like, oh yeah, that's what you sound like, I forgot. And I'm sure there's a sermon in there somewhere about listening to the wrong voice and mistaking the voice, you know, but that's not what we're talking about today. Um, But Pastor Chris, like you heard him say, his voice is about 90%. I'm going to preach this week. We had to make a decision earlier in the week, so you got me. I'm sorry, you know, I'm not Pastor Chris, but... I think I'll stunt double. I would rather stunt double today than the wedding that he had to do yesterday. So, like, I was, I was kind of nervous about that one, not going to lie, not going to lie. But today we are going to kick off a new series. It's going to be a short series, um, just five weeks. But we're going to go through two also short but crucially important books of the Bible. Those two books were written by one of Jesus' original and closest disciples, guys. He was one of the primary leaders of the early church. Today, we're going to start this series covering First and Second Peter. Um, surface level, if you read them, you might be like, okay, they're, they're, they're books that were written to the early church. Cool. But there is so much in there, guys. There's so much that's going to be covered in these five weeks. It's going to be crucially important to not miss a single week. We're really going to dive in what it's like to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Um, you can't always control your situations, but you can control how you act, how you react, and whether or not you're comfortable. So, what does it take for us to discover, to settle in, and to take action in the faith that we have in Jesus? amidst chaos, a godless culture, and what surrounds us every day. That's what we're going to really be tackling in these next five weeks. We're going to jump right into some scripture, 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. It says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy as I am holy. So today we're going to dive into fact that our walk with Jesus was never meant to be a spectator sport. Guys, this one, I feel like, I kind of got a slow pitch right across the plate with the sports analogies in today's message. We were not called to be spectators. We're called to be the players in the game. We're called to be the runners in the race. We're not called to be the people that are sitting in the stands. So how do we do this, right? Well, first, there are action steps that we are called to take if we're going to be serious about this relationship with Jesus, right? But before we dive into the action steps, let's look at the why, the how, and the when of our faith. And why 
is being a spectator not enough? So in 1 Peter 1, 2, it says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. Right? So the word that Peter uses here for holy is a word that is actually better translated as sanctified or sanctification. And his spirit has made you sanctified. Now, we don't use this word a lot anymore in, like, actual conversation, right? So... I'm going to kind of break down what this word literally means, and it literally means to be morally pure, spiritually whole, separated from evil, and dedicated to God for a purpose. Guys, let's look at that again. You are morally pure, spiritually whole, separated from evil, and dedicated to God for a purpose. It further means to consecrate or to be set apart Guys, that's what this is all about, is being set apart. There should be a difference between you and a non-believer. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be different. We are called to be morally pure. We're called to be above the things of sin and above the things of evil. We are called to be separated from them. Um, the word that I'm thinking of is cleave. And if you have ever seen a butcher take a meat cleaver to something and chop it, it is separated. There's no fiber connecting them anymore, guys. That's what we are called to be, is completely separated from the sin that we once committed. <clears throat> so here's what we have to understand regarding the fact that God sacrifices, sanctifies us. Ooh, that could have been bad accidental uh, heresy. <laughs> that God sanctifies us and makes us holy because of the price Jesus paid on the cross. There's the sacrifice. And the moment, uh, at the moment of salvation, we were made instantly whole. The moment that Jesus breathed that last breath and that sacrifice was made once and for all, we were made whole. It's that simple, guys. You were called, you're set apart. Once you take those action steps and you acknowledge that on your life, immediately made whole. So, even though we are immediately made whole, we still falter, we still fail, we are a work in progress. Um, I had a lot of friends who had cars that they called whips, and that is work in progress, right? I'm sure that y'all had, you guys had a lot of friends like that too in high school whenever they couldn't afford anything other than a work in progress. But that's what we are as a car is, or as a person. We are a work in progress. We, are, we still make mistakes, and we're, we're not perfect, but we're striving to be. And as long as you are striving to be, that's what really matters. Because that's what sanctification is. It is instantaneous. You are instantly made whole, but then you have to walk it out. And you have to try, and you have to put those action steps to that immediate change. We are called, as Paul states, to fight the good fight or to finish the race that is set before us. So being a spectator is not enough. Guys, sitting in the bleachers is not enough. Saying the prayer, getting the ticket to the game, and then going and watching is not enough. You're called to be on the field, not in the stands. First Peter 2, 1 through 3 says... 
Get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. I'm going to read that part again. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. And now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Guys, have you ever heard a baby cry whenever it needed milk? Right? That's what they do. They don't know anything other than I'm hungry, cry, and then they get fed. Why don't we do the same with God? Cry out when you need help. Cry out when you need that nourishment. Don't wait to get it from a pastor on a Sunday morning or at a Wednesday night refill service. You can cry out for yourself. Cry out and get fed, guys. Read the Bible. Pray. Spend time in worship outside of the building. So we have three simple steps as to how, the how part, the how do we move out of the stands and onto the field. And step number one is get rid of unnecessary weight. If there is anybody in this room that knows about needing to get rid of unnecessary weight, it's your boy. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. I need to get rid of some unnecessary weight. Um, are there things in your life that are keeping you from truly going all in in your race with God? Are there things that you're holding on to that you're stashing in the back room of your life? Is there a weight that you need to drop? Okay, so guys, I have been everything from athletic to where I am now and at every weight in between. And one thing that I can tell you through my various stages of weight loss and weight gain is it can seem like a long process whenever you start to lose weight, right? But did you know that for every one pound of weight that you lose, you actually take four pounds of pressure off of your knees. So for every one pound of weight you lose, you drop four on your knees, okay? So follow me here. It may seem like a long process because you may have a lot of baggage that you need to drop in your spiritual life, but your pressure will come off of you a lot faster than the weight will. Four times faster than the weight drops, the pressure drops. See, the thing is, is we have a good physician who can drop that weight like that. We don't have to go through the process. It's more like dropping a backpack or taking off chains rather than trying to drop physical weight. You can throw it off and be done with it. And the pressure will come off faster than the weight. So are there things that you're holding on to? Are there things that you're stashing back just in case you have a bad day that you can go back to that instead of going to God, the one that had called you from that in the first place? I don't know. But if there is, drop it. Drop the weight, guys. You will feel so much better, and you will feel better instantly. So if you have that stuff, now is the time to do a spiritual house cleaning. In fact, 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we are to be holy we are chosen people. We are God's possession. Therefore, God called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. 
He called you out of the cobwebs and the corners and the dark spots of the room and the back corners into a place of holiness and light in him. The second step, guys, is don't run back to poor practices. This one is crucially, crucially, crucially important. First Peter 2.1 tells us clearly that we are to be done with sinful behavior. The message paraphrases it like this. You need to make a clean sweep of it. Are there things in your BC days, that's before Christ, we're not going to be like the new thing and go BCE and before Common Era. Are there things in your before Christ days that you find yourself running back to, even though it is detrimental to your spiritual walk? All right, I'm going to take a sidebar here. If someone moves out of the country, right, like let's say you're done and you move out of whatever country you're living in and you move to another country, why would you keep the citizenship in the country you just left? Why would you keep a house in the country that you just left? You wouldn't unless you plan on going back. Get rid of your old address. Leave. And don't plan on going back. Don't plan on going back to the very things that are detrimental to the things that you're trying to separate yourself from. If you're moving, move. Don't try and have a house here and there. Cut off your citizenship, sell your house, and leave. Don't run back to the things that you did before just because they're convenient and they're easy and they make you feel better. Uh, the author of Proverbs actually compares the idea of returning to evil and sin as a dog that returns to its own vomit. This one's a lot more disgusting than my house reference. And I think it's disgusting on purpose. I think that's intentional. I don't think that that is an accident. The idea of running back to the sin that you were cleaved from, that God separated you from, that Jesus died to separate you from. How disgusting is that? Running back to the very thing that got you in the mess in the first place, or as in the dog example, the very thing that made you sick to vomit out, you're going back and then ingesting again. Why do you consistently run back to the things that once made you sick? I mean, I've got a dog and he does that, but my dog is very unintelligent. He is. I've got stories for days on that dog. Don't be like my dog. Be intelligent. Know that, hey, this made me sick whenever I was there in the first place and I threw it up. I don't think I should eat that again. This thing made me feel terrible when I did it, and now I'm here, and I have the choice to do it again or not. Don't do it again. It made you feel terrible. Don't step back into the old things and the easy way of doing things just because it's convenient or you think it might make you feel better whenever you know it made you feel bad in the first place. Draw a line in the sand today and be determined to stay on this side of it. Going back is not an option. Do a clean sweep, clean the house out, and don't bring anything else back in. And this third step is to crave the nourishment of God. In verse 2, he says to crave spiritual milk so that you will grow spiritually and cry out for the nourishment that comes from God and God alone. 
Guys, the nourishment that comes from God and God alone, nothing else will do, nothing else will satisfy this, nothing else will make you feel the way that you want to feel except for the nourishment that comes from God and God alone. Rather than succumbing to the sin and the evil and the chaos that is all around us, Peter challenges us to dive in to the nourishment of God so that we will grow in our walk with him. Guys, again, babies, it is so simple. It is one of our most natural urges, the urge to eat and be nourished. They cry out. They, they cry, they scream until they get fed. They, they will not relent until they get the nourishment that they need. Why do we not act like babies when it comes to spiritual things? Searching, constantly crying out to God, feed me, feed me, feed me. We just say, eh, it's okay. I'm starving to death, but it'll be all right. It's like the meme of the dog sitting in a burning room and saying, everything's fine. Everything is not fine. We need fed. We need the nourishment. If, you have, if you've ever had a craving for food, you don't sit idly by and just miss the opportunity to meet that craving, right? If you've ever craved food, you get up and you get the food. Why don't we do the same thing with God? And why don't we help others do the same thing with God? I know whenever Brittany was pregnant with Evan and craved McDonald's french fries, I became on a first name basis with the dude that worked at McDonald's, specifically the night shift from about like 10 to 11. I'd pull up and I, I kind of already knew the kid anyway, but I'd pull up and I'd say, what's up, Christopher? He said, here are your fries, Joe. <laughs> I mean, it was like that. We, we would help other people whenever they are craving food, why don't we help other people whenever they're craving the nourishment, especially if they don't know the nourishment that they need is what they need, and you have the answer. There are people out there that are crying out for nourishment, guys, and they don't even know it. They don't know that that's what they're crying out for. They just know that they're crying out for nourishment, and they, they're, they're screaming, they're saying, help me, help me, help me, and it looks a lot of different ways, and we're sitting idly by like someone who's sitting in a burning room and saying everything is fine and we're ignoring the calls it's time to stop treating this walk with God like a spectator sport it's time that we actually go all in instead of just saying the words as we pursue this relationship with God so now that we've covered the how, let's kind of look at the when. When should we move beyond the point of spectator? When should we get out of the stands and actually onto the field? 1 Peter 1, 5, 8-9 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a, loring, or like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm and be strong in your faith. Stand firm firm. It doesn't say stand firm when, it just says stand firm, stand firm now. This verse is simply reminding us that we have an enemy that is ready and willing to do anything and everything he can to derail us as a Christian at any time. At any time, guys. You are never, ever, ever going to be safe from attacks. 
You're, you cannot let your guard down. You cannot just say, oh, well, I just came out of one. That means I'm probably not going to get one for a while. I guarantee you if you let your guard down and think you're invincible, the one is going to happen because that's how this stuff works, guys. You cannot let your guard down. Attacks are going to come. Um, like I said a couple weeks ago, having Jesus in your life or having Jesus in your boat doesn't mean your boat isn't going to go through a storm. It just means your boat won't sink. You can ask the disciples. They still went through storms, but the boat did not go under when it should have. That's all that this guarantees is you will not sink. It doesn't mean that you won't face a storm. You're going to face storms. You're going to face attacks. Sorry to burst your bubble, but you are guaranteed to make it through if you persevere. If you get out of the stands and onto the field, you will make it through. So if we have an enemy that is ready and willing to do anything, everything that he can to derail us, what are we supposed to do? Peter says to stay alert. He says, watch out. In other words, don't get distracted by the chaos, the lies, the temptations, and the sin that is going on all around you. You need to completely and 100% fix your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on him. Don't focus on all of the stuff going around you. If this is a sports analogy service, you have to watch your coach. I have a great, great, great analogy for this one. I remember that we had a coach in high school who his pinky was broke and it stuck out to the side like this, and I remember the first time that I noticed it because we had a defense that he would call, and it was bare, and he would do this. And I was looking over to him on the sidelines, and he did that, and I was looking at his pinky. I had absolutely no idea what defense he just called. I was like, bro, your pinky. <laughs> and... And I don't know how I didn't notice it until this point. His pinky had been like that since I had known him. I mean, it's been like that for years. But this is the first time I saw the thing, and I'm like, pinky. Why is it shaped like that? It's weird looking. And the whole the game is going on. Like, people are lining up and setting up, and I'm like, what is wrong with his hand? Don't get distracted by all of the stuff that's going on around you. The game is still happening. Don't get distracted by things that are going to come up and try to derail you and try to get you to take your focus off of what's going on on the field. The game is still happening. It doesn't matter what's going on all around you. You're there to play the game. You're there to fight the fight, to run the race. You cannot get distracted by all of the other stuff that's going on. That is how you lose. Whenever you follow distractions, whenever you chase rabbits, whenever you go on all of these other side things, that's how you lose the game, guys. We have to stay focused. We cannot focus on the chaos, the lies, the temptation, the sin, the everything else that's going on all around us trying to derail you. Now is the time to step into action. Now is the time to operate both offense and defense, guys. Offense and defense, same time. We move in offense when we read the Bible, pray, attend church, join a life group, right? But we position ourselves defensively when we read the Bible, when we pray, when we attend church, when we join a life group. You see, when we're doing one, we're actually doing both. Um, the, the statement that the best, de the best defense is a good offense, everybody thinks that it's some sports analogy. It actually comes from war. George Washington said, the best defensive position is to attack. 
and I can't remember, it's um, a philosopher, he said that the only true defense is to act offensively. Guys, whenever you are, if you're going back to boxing, it's hard to cover up and throw a punch at the same time. If you're constantly on the offense, your, your defense is already strong. And it works out perfectly for us because when we do one, we do both. When we read the Bible, we are getting our weapon and we're also ready to defend. When we pray, we are talking to God and we're constantly in communication. We can be offensive and defensive. When we attend church, when we join a life group, we're surrounding ourselves with people who are on our side and ready to go to bat for us and also ready to defend us. They're ready to be offensive and defensive. It's time to stop watching the game and actually play it, guys. <clears throat> Growing and maturing in Christ, but also be prepared for all the distractions and the attacks of the enemy. That's what we have to do. We have to grow and we have to be ready to be on attack, but also be ready for attacks, guys. It's that simple. Offense and defense, you do both at the same time. So now that we understand the how and the when, let's take a look at the scripture again, right? And let's kind of read it through these different eyes. So we're going back to 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Prepare your minds for action. Exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the great salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy as I am holy. So now that we've covered out the, the background Let's look at the action steps and how we can apply this today. Action step number one is prepare your mind for the journey ahead. Within today's society, we often allow our enemy to control our actions. But when our actions are informed by intentional decisions, we are able to operate with self-control according to God's purpose. Let me reread that one again, guys. When our actions are informed by intentional decisions, we are able to operate with self-control. We like to let, we like to be reactive as people, but when we are proactive, we actually have strategy. If you constantly sit back and wait on the attack and then react to the attack, you will never move ahead. You are constantly in a reactive position. Nine out of ten times a person in a reactive place will not win a fight. They won't get knocked out, but they won't win either. They're constantly playing defense. They're constantly covering up. They're constantly slipping, but they're never actually moving in a forward offensive position, and they will never actually beat the enemy. They will just survive to fight him again. People might say, oh, that was a close fight but you never make it past, oh, that was a close fight, into, oh, man, you won. If you want to actually win and you want to come out on the victorious side of this, you cannot let all of the things around you dictate how you're going to fight. You have to fight your fight. 
you have to be the one that's going on the, offen on the offensive position. You have to be the one that's trying to win the fight, not just trying to survive, guys. And we can win the fight. That, don't forget that we can win this fight. It's not something that you just have to make it through. It's something that you can come out victorious in. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. This idea of preparation is not something that we like to do, right? No one likes practice. No one likes practice. Um, I'm reminded back again back in school, one of the most annoying things is people saying we like after a game because I remember my freshman year we weren't really that good and there was a lot of they statements like oh they stink oh they aren't really that good and then by the time I'm like my senior year comes our football team's pretty good went undefeated we did well and now it's we oh we are great we are this we are that and I'm like well where were we when two a days were happening <laughs> I remember us but I don't remember you. Nobody likes practice. If we didn't have to practice, everybody would be on the team. Guys, that's how this stuff works, and that's how this game works too. Practice. You have to put in work. You can't just show up into a fight with your enemy and think that you're going to win without having practice. You're going to do what you know, and if what you know is nothing, you'll do nothing. And you'll get beat. So practice, put the time in, read the word, worship, pray, come to church, join a life group, do the things now. That way, whenever you need them later, it's second nature. That's how you win these fights is by practice. That's how you win these attacks is by practice. No one goes into a battle with zero preparation expecting to win. Just like this, you have to prepare. Read the word, find out what it says. Have some scriptures ready. That way, whenever the attacks come, boom, you know what you're going to throw back. Have some worship songs ready that you know get you in a, in a mood of worship. Boom, attack comes. You know where to go. Don't get, wait until the attack to try and get your plan together. That's how you lose. And whenever Peter says prepare, he's painting a picture for the early church, and he was telling them to essentially roll up your sleeves because it's about to go down. The fight is coming. Get ready. Roll your sleeves up. Get ready because we're getting ready to go into some activity. So activity is getting ready to happen, and you don't want loose clothing getting in the way, right? <clears throat> Oftentimes, we fail to see the necessity of preparation and hard work, especially when it comes to our faith. Then we wonder why we struggle as soon as opposition meets us face to face. Church, we have to understand that if we truly desire to move forward in the things of God, there is going to be some prep work that has to be done. Practice has to be had. Guys, practice has to be had. Remember that we are sanctified. We are made holy instantly when we come to Jesus, but we are still a work in progress, and with any work in progress, it takes work. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes time refining, getting where we need to be. So what is the preparation that you need to do, that you need to put in motion in your life as you step from someone on the field or someone in the stands to being someone on the field?
practice. Show up to practice, guys. Practice, practice, practice. Action step number two, we are to remain obedient to God no matter what. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into the old way of doing things to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. What God is, what is God calling you to do in your walk with him? I've said this many times before, but it's worth repeating. Anything short of obedient, immediate obedience is disobedience. Once you step out or into obedience, continue that journey of obedience. Don't do it once. And then think, oh, I was obedient. I'm done. That's not how this works. Be obedient today. Be obedient tomorrow. If God says step, step. If he says hold, hold. All of that is important. Remember, he can see the game plan. We can see the play. We can see what's going on right now in front of us. But God has the whole game plan. And if he tells you to move, move. If he tells you to stop, stop. Because he knows better than we do. And he will not lead you astray. You're going to face naysayers as you move into this all-in lifestyle. People are going, you're going to hear people that try to convince you with their false their narratives, and they're going to say that their false narrative is correct, and they may even throw scripture at you. But just know that anyone can speak scripture. Without context, it can be used against you and manipulated and turned. Satan is a master of that. He did it to Eve to get her to mess up. He tried to do it against Jesus himself in order to get him to mess up, guys. Anyone can take scripture and quote it and misapply it. That's why you have to stay read up. That way, whenever someone says, oh, well, this says this, you can say, yeah, I know it says that, but the verse before says this and the verse after says this. So you took it and you twisted it and you made it out of context to fit what you wanted to say. But what God is really saying is this. Be ready because people are going to try it. They're going to try to come at you with all of these, all of these like chirping. I call it chirping. And they're like crickets. If you've ever tried to kill a cricket, you know that they're going to chirp whenever you're over here and they're in the corner of the room. But the closer you get, they stop chirping. And then you can't find the cricket anymore. That's exactly how these naysayers are going to go. They're going to be chirping real loud when you're far away. But whenever you focus in and whenever you say, oh, yeah, I know that this says that. Right. I know you're right. You're right. That part says that. But what about the verse before? What about the verse after? What about the context of the whole chapter? Then they're going to be quiet because they don't really know. They just know something that they read on like Facebook or something that they heard on YouTube and they're going to try and quote it. Guys, be ready because it will happen. Naysayers are going to try to throw a false narrative at you. But you got this. You got this. Get to know the word of God. Prepare yourself. Equip yourself. Remain obedient. And then you will find yourself standing firm in the midst of rubble, guys. For we are not fighting a fight against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heaven and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground. Guys, stand your ground. Do you see this? We're not fighting people. 
don't be upset about people. Don't, don't take offense against people. And we are constantly hearing, I can't believe they would do this. I can't believe the government did that. Do you believe what blah, blah, blah did? Why are we surprised whenever ungodly people do ungodly things? It shouldn't surprise us and we shouldn't take offense to it. They don't know any better, just like at one point in time you didn't know any better, right? But what we should be asking, asking ourselves is, why is the church functioning in a way that is not pleasing to God? Don't question ungodly people. They're uh, unbelievers. They don't believe. But what about the believers? What about the church? Why aren't we saying, man, the church isn't acting in a way that would please God right now? Grab some mirrors. Do a self-examination. Am I acting in a way that would please God? Don't worry about other people. Don't worry about especially people that aren't believers, guys. Unbelievers are going to do what unbelievers do. Pray for them. Be there for them. Be ready to witness to them. But don't be surprised when they do things that unbelievers do. Action step number three. Choose to walk in the holiness of God. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy as I am holy. Church, we must determine now to remain obedient, to take a stand, to share the good news with the lost, to seek first the kingdom of God, to be holy as he is holy. It's time that we stop playing games outside and start playing the game and be the church. We have to be the church. We can't just come to church. We are called to be the church. It's time that we stop doing church out of convenience and begin to serve God out of conviction. It's time for the church and those that claim to be a follower of Jesus to step up, get out of the seats, and move onto the field. Guys, sitting in the bleachers isn't enough. You're called to be in the game. You're called to run the race. You're not a spectator. We're called to be who God has called us to be, and it's time that we start doing it because being a spectator is not enough. Would you pray with me today? Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.